Boom. And I think we're synced up. Alright, uh, welcome to week four of the Road to Infinity War podcast. Here once again with Sam Nicholson. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't know if we've done a disclaimer at the start of, of these podcasts yet. I thought it would be uh, important to note. Um, definitely, at the very least, have seen all of these movies uh, or the movie before watching the specific or listening to the specific week we're talking about. Um, ideally, I would say have watched everything, listened to the podcast, and then with all this knowledge we're, we're throwing at you, go rewatch the, the movie afterwards. Although we're kind of behind, so I feel like that would be ridiculous. Like, it's taken forever for me to put these up, so people would be like, I don't know. Well, maybe we'll, we'll get a better schedule, and that'll be more doable. But uh, regardless, watch the movie, and then listen to this, because... We're not going to run through the plot, otherwise we're going to have another two-hour-long podcast. <laughs> as much as I like doing that, I, I got other shit to get around to. <laughs> All right, so week four, the Incredible Hulk. Boom! Give me your letterbox score. This is a three out of five for me. This is, I think, the lowest one out of all the MCU that I that I have ranked. Three out of five. What about you? It uh, actually dropped from three and a half to three when I watched it uh, last week. It just... I don't know. It's, it's got some good parts to it, but I, I feel like three and a half is is a little high for it. It's just... It's it's a little... It's like it's fun, and it's got good stuff in it. It's just a little bit of a mess of a movie, and it just feels kind of unnatural and so out of sync with everything else in the MCU that I felt like it deserves more of a barrier than than half a star from the rest of the stuff, you know? Yeah, well, I, like, I gave Iron Man 2 uh, three and a half, and, How you know, I have my issues with Iron Man 2, but it's definitely not on the same level as, as Hulk. I think Hulk is definitely the uh, the worst of the crop of uh, the MCU has offered. It sounds like I'm bashing it, and I hate it, which I don't, but it just, compared to what would come later, and like you said, this movie is kind of a mess. I think it was made, bef- like, as they were kind of putting together the idea of the MCU, uh, so I, I think those early thematic connections to the other movies aren't exactly there. It doesn't feel like it to me anyway. Yeah, I mean, there's there's both uh, Easter eggs to uh, support and um, deny that. Uh, so we'll, we'll delve into that and see really where this fit and what it was trying to do. Um, there's actually some interesting stuff that I think ties into later MCU stuff um, from a like filmmaking standpoint as opposed to a plot standpoint um, that I found was interesting. So uh, the director, how do you feel about him? About who? Sorry, the director, Lou, Louis Leterrier. That sounds right. That sounds French enough. <laughs> now he let, let's take a look at his filmography. Oh, so he's in the Transporter series, which I've never seen. Clash of the Titans, which was ooh, and now you see me, both of which were pretty rough. But he did do a gem of a movie, which I did not realize was directed by him, uh, called Unleashed. Have you seen that before? Jet Li? No, I haven't. Yeah, Jet Li, where he's basically raised like a dog, and then he gets out, and he goes to live with Morgan Freeman, and then he has to fight. It's it's a very, very, very good movie. It sounds kind of silly the way I described it, but it's a very good movie, and I did not realize that shared the same director. Yeah, I feel like he's very niche in his, like, action movies, even though Now You See Me is, like, a, 
I guess like a con movie if anything um I haven't seen it but, but yeah it's I not uh, I was I was expecting it to be kind of good but I was I did not like it at all now you see me I really didn't like Clash of the Titans I really didn't like and I haven't seen the transporters so he's not good this isn't the strongest filmography of someone we've seen directing a Marvel movie before yeah and it, it kind of shows um it's it's interesting I also feel like Edward Norton's so this is I'm I'm really divided on Edward Norton like he's a fantastic actor I I think he's kind of a dick um, from stories I've heard <laughs> yeah sounds right uh, you've what <laughs> movie was it um, American History X have you heard about the whole drama with that I'm sure, I'm sure no I haven't oh man yeah he uh, he rewrote half of the the script to give himself more screen time in the movie <laughs> which like it, like it worked out because it's still a brilliant movie but apparently the director or writer might, might have been the same person um, was so not alright with it that they put a pseudonym in the credits like they didn't want their name on it because they're like this isn't my work this is my work that someone's you know, adjusted and, and, and changed and stuff like that, so he seems have, like, um, like Have you ever seen the movie guy. Birdman before? Birdman. Birdman, the one with Michael Keaton where he plays like kind of a washed up he was a you know, he's a bit of a washed up actor, played like a Batman type character. Have you seen oh, that yeah. before? Yeah, of course. Do you remember Edward Norton's character in that? Uh, um He was like the he was like the kinda of high strung out like kind of uh D- diva actor who uh, you know you could tell he was really thought a lot of himself I think that was partly inspired by his own life uh, <laughs> which I, I, I give him credit for leading into that at least he's kind of, kind of seems aware of it yeah and, uh, and plays it but yeah the, if, if anyone ever wants to see what I think Edward Norton is like in real life watch Birdman it's, it's been so long I actually kind of forget him in that but uh, I, I do I do vaguely remember what you're talking about a little bit um and yeah that's, that's kind of what i picture him like which explains i guess why he was recast later on i don't know if you know any of the details of why that happened why he was recast i, th- I think he just didn't want to be part of the uh you know like a, a series like edward norton's never really done um, mm-hmm. a series and I, this is in the early days of marvel before like like now when an actor signs up for marvel they know they're getting like uh you know, a five-picture deal where they they're contracted to appear in a certain number. Like I think even Chris Evans is his last one is in Avengers Four that he's actually contracted for. Yeah. So he got contracted years and years ahead. But this was the early days of the MCU, and this is where I don't think they had that quite in place. But I think they had the idea that they wanted to build towards the Avengers, and I don't I don't think Edward Norton really wanted to to do that to be part because like if he had if he would have had to be in you know Avengers he would have had to be in Age of Ultron Ragnarok so it would have been acting that maybe he didn't want to do yeah which makes me wonder too because like i feel like mark mark ruffalo's um like eagerness to play the hulk was why they threw him into uh thor ragnarok or maybe just because they're like thor movies haven't been doing as good as they could be doing that like they wanted someone to support him but like if we had edward norton being super reluctant to do all this stuff and you know he got tied into a contract he wasn't super into. I feel like maybe the MCU would look totally different in, in numerous ways. One being that maybe he wouldn't be in as many things because he just wasn't into it. Like they're like, we we need him in these core things, and outside of that, he's probably not got a lot of wiggle room. Yeah. Um, but and 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 I love 
Mark Ruffalo as Bruce Banner, but I feel like he's kind of like... So, like, how Robert Downey Jr. re was, like, a reimagined Tony Stark. He's, like, a little different from, from how he is in the comics, and, and, you know, that worked for them and stuff. I feel like Bruce Banner's kind of like that, but to a way more radical degree. So he's, like, his character's more or less a completely different version of Bruce Banner because they just were, like, you know, it works, this is how it is, but, like... Bruce Banner in the comics, I feel like, is a lot more like the Edward Norton Bruce Banner. Which, uh, that's which true. is and isn't a good thing. Like, I feel like Edward Norton, if he was in the Avengers, would have been totally out of place. Yeah. But, like, that's kind of what Bruce Banner is like in the Marvel Universe anyway. Like, he's kind of a... Uh, an outsider within the Avengers. Um, that's why he's not in it for a ton of times. And he's like that weird kid that no one talks to in the superhero world. And and it kind of would have worked for that. So, like, if he had stuck around, who knows what it would have looked like. He, he would have been a lot less funny, um, obviously. But, but it would have been an interesting dynamic. So, I mean, I, I will never take back a Mark Ruffalo Bruce Banner, but... It's interesting to think of what could have been. Now, there's an alternate cinematic universe with uh, with Chance Howard still playing Rhodey and Edward Norton playing uh, Bruce Banner. <laughs> <laughs> right. We should get that like a uh, a Marvel uh, universe number designation. <laughs> That's actually not a bad idea. <laughs> um, I feel like this film was devoid of obvious numerology because when I was I don't know maybe maybe it's just the way. Uh, John Favreau did it that I that I picked up on these numbers everywhere, but I felt like there was like not really any numbers that you. I mean, I guess there's the there's the gamma count, uh, the days um, since days without incident or whatever, but they just seemed like arbitrary numbers to me. Um, maybe I'm just paying less attention to it because there's no payoff in these numbers, but uh... <laughs> yeah, I I think you're looking into those a bit too much, but I'm also open minded. Maybe we'll come across a number that really. Explains the entire MCU. We'll see. Maybe. Uh, if so, the number's probably 42. The 42? <laughs> the 42. Um, so, before we delve into uh, the intro scene there, anything anything else about this movie uh, you want to get off your chest there? Hmm, no, the only thing I can think of is uh, I wanted to share with everyone that I went on the Incredible Hulk ride at uh, Universal Studios in Orlando, <laughs> and it was quite uh, it was quite fun, and um, they had a few little Easter eggs, uh, the entry, like the, the line, the lines at Universal are all really cool, and the one at uh, the, the Hulk ride had like a little like, uh, you know, gamma radiation area, it had a list of all the ranking... Um, uh, people who are in charge of the Hulk program, and again, you can see this is before the Marvel MCU days because they have people like they have Ross, of course, but then they have like uh, people like Talbot and Stryker who uh, you know weren't in the MCU at that point, but were still a part of Marvel Comics. Um, but other than that, that's all I wanted to share that I've been on the Incredible Hulk ride, and also that Universal has a lot of Marvel stuff, so I'm not sure what's going to happen to that now that Disney owns Marvel, but we shall see. True, true. That'll be interesting. Um. Yeah, I, f I feel like uh, I I've never seen the Eric Bana Hulk movie, and oh, don't. I've, yeah, I, no, I, I got it at some point. Um, if, if I can 
watch The Room. I can watch Eric Bana's Hulk. I, I feel like, obviously, it's not going to be good. Um, but I've heard people say that it kind of works like a prequel to The Incredible Hulk. Like, almost like the movie would, like, take place after it kind of thing. But that that could be 100% wrong. But I've, I've heard some stuff about it. Um, and uh, a lot of the original... MCU movies I've heard uh, kind of referencing, like I think Captain America the First Avenger took a lot of influence from the old Captain America film from whatever year um, and and you know, some some subtle Easter eggs from that, so uh, I, I can't comment on whether Hulk and Incredible Hulk have any tie-ins or similarities or anything like that which is unfortunate, but what can you do? I this think a, um, I think Hulk was a the 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 Edward Norton one was initially supposed to be some sort of sequel to the original, right, but then when right. Norton came on board, I, I think that changed. Like uh, like like obviously Hulk the two thousand three Eric Banner one isn't part of the MCU, but uh, I I do think initially the Incredible Hulk was meant to be a, some sort of follow up, and then that eventually changed, which is for the best because I can deal with the Incredible Hulk being in the MCU because it's not a terrible movie by any means, but. Uh, Hulk, it's been a long time. I do want to rewatch it to give another chance, but the Eric Bannon one, I remember hating. It, it's, like, up there with, like, Fantastic Four and Suicide Squad for me. I, I think that's <laughs> a little extreme for most people. I don't think everyone hates it as much as, as that, but I truly, truly love that movie. Yeah. Um, that, that's interesting how they do that. Uh, if we ever start a Star Wars podcast, which I really hope we do, um, they actually did something interesting where I forget who it was, but someone was writing a uh i think it was like a post uh original trilogy novel star starring luke and uh they'd they'd written the first two books and they were like writing the third or working on the third and then that's when um disney acquired uh star wars and so they had this 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 book that was working as the conclusion to this, you know, the other two books he had written, and I, I, he ended up making it a part of the new canon. And so the original two books aren't canon, but but I think this one kind of works as a bridge, whereas it still finishes the stuff that did happen, but in itself is also a standalone book that works with the canon. I don't, I don't know I don't know how for sure that is, but I that's what I've read or heard about, which I thought was really interesting because like what do people do when when this things happen, you know, like there's a divide and at some point you got to figure out if you're with the old or with the new and uh this one seemed to make a clean clean cut uh you know, MCU dive here, but uh it's interesting for sure. Hmm. All right. So uh I don't think we'll have any problem with this one being too short, as we haven't actually got into the movie yet, and we're at 15 minutes, so huzzah! huzzah. <laughs> um, so, let's start off with the accident that turns him into the Hulk, which is completely different from the comics, which is interesting, and I never really realized before, like... You just see this stuff, and you're like, oh, he's turning into the Hulk, and you kind of shrug it off. But I'm like, I was watching it, and I'm like, no, this is 100% different from how it happens in the comics. Like, in the comics... Uh, he gets bit by a spider, doesn't he, in this one? <laughs> <laughs> in the comics, he, uh, he's he got um, a Russian uh, assistant that ends up being a red spy, and they're, you know, at this testing ground and stuff, and he sees... 
this uh, young teenager, Rick Jones, just hanging out on the testing ground, you know, and he's like, oh, God, I've got to save that kid. So he runs out, and then he kind of dives, and he's like, get down, you fool, and he pushes him down over this, like, trench and and saves him, but the brunt of the, the gamma radiation hits Bruce, and so he, like, it's this whole, you know, he saved someone and took all the the uh, the brunt of, of the consequences himself, and then from there on, Rick Jones is a huge character in his in his storyline. Um, obviously, Rick Jones is not someone almost anyone in the MCU fandom knows, so that didn't pan out the same. But it's also done in a lab, and there's not that you know this was an experiment done on him kind of thing. It wasn't at all of the same situation um and then i don't know where this happens in the mcu but i was reading up on like the implications that this has with the rest of the mcu and it's kind of a shame that it's like the the black sheep of the marvel film movie because it ties into so much stuff like, I don't know if it, this is in TV shows or Agent Carter or where this stuff happens or in comics we'll discover later, but, like, there's a lot of ties to a lot of things here. Um, and I'm not sure how much you're aware of that. Not uh, not a whole lot. I'm sure there's little things uh, that, that I could pick up on, but you, uh, you're you probably going to tell me a lot that I, I, I didn't realize before. All right. So uh, I'll get into most of that later when it, when it becomes more apparent. But for now, yeah, so he does uh, what what is supposed to be a um, like a, a recreation of the super soldier serum to a degree. Um, uh, I think it's some biotech uh, program that General Ross starts two days after 9/11 happens. Um, and he's got uh, Bruce Banner thinking it's radiation shielding and testing and stuff, but really they're trying to use gamma radiation to, I think, replace Vita rays. Maybe using the Super Soldier Serum. Good old Vita rays. Um, so after you know it not working a ton, um, Bruce decides he's going to try it out on himself, and so some version of the super soldier serum is used on Bruce with the gamma radiation. Like, it's not just gamma radiation that turns him into this. It's a combination of both, which is unique to the Hulk. And I'm not sure how that works, because I don't think they inject him with anything in the in the beginning, but, but I'm pretty sure it says that that it wasn't just gamma radiation. Like, like, at least gamma radiation was what they were using on the serum or something. So, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe he just used gamma radiation? Because I don't remember seeing any injection in this. Maybe we'll get more uh, clarity on that later. But it's... Doesn't it just start with um, with him essentially, go, like, kind of flashing through his him going through the procedure? Like, isn't that essentially how it starts? Yeah. Okay. And in that procedure, it's just you just see some green radiation and stuff being used on him, but... Which makes sense. I mean, the fact that uh, they want to, you know, they're trying to redo the the Super Soldier program, because they only had one success, but they and they know it works. That's the thing. Is that, So in these, in these 50, 60 years since uh, 
um, the first Avenger, they still haven't made any progress really with the with the Super Soldier Serum, which I find uh, fascinating. I guess it shows how much it's linked to Erskine and what he did uh, for Cap. Yeah, and we'll get into exactly how that works because there's a ton of stuff I didn't realize about the Super Soldier Serum. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So, uh, so Betty's a scientist in this, or uh, of some degree, she's a doctor for sure. So, I, I assume it's in science and stuff because she teaches at Culver University, um, and that is unique to the MCU. I don't know if Betty does anything in the in the origin story for the comics, at least. She's just General Ross's daughter, right? Which isn't that information is kind of withheld from you for the movie to be some like dramatic reveal and I don't know that it really is especially because it's such obvious information to comic fans um, and then we have uh, the accident happen and then there's uh, there's a bunch of scenes with a ton of easter eggs uh, following the intro so you see some some files uh some shield files we got nick fury's name on one of the files um we have uh betty ross in in one of the files and then a third file actually has rick jones's name on it and uh rick jones is listed as a um like an associate or friend of bruce banner and there's a ton of stuff, like, blacked out in his his file. And it just says, Occupation is, is Student. So we never see Rick Jones or have any reference of him in this film except for at the beginning. So he is technically a part of the MCU, which I thought was interesting. Um, Nick Fury has him with some S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff. Uh, for, for Betty Ross, um, in her file it shows that one of her associates is uh um dr leonard sampson who is a psychiatrist and leonard sampson later in the film is is who she's dating or with or whatever played by ty burrell there from modern family oh yes that's right so so she knew him before the accident happened which is an interesting little tidbit um, for this movie and for some pretty hardcore Marvel fans out there because I have very little um, exposure to him pun intended uh, Doc Sampson is a superhero he's a psychiatrist that has some form of gamma radiation and he's just this super ripped dude with like green hair so Ty Burrell plays the alter ego of a potential superhero in this. Um, and we're going to see a lot of characters that could be in, you know, the MCU and have potential, but because this movie was kind of a one-off, uh, you'd never see the culmination of that stuff. I can picture Ty Burrell showing up uh, as Doc Samson ten years after The Incredible Hulk. That would be kind of funny, but I can't... Uh... Considering we haven't even seen Betty in ten years, I can't imagine we'll be seeing uh, Doc Samson. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Um, and then in the intro, you also see uh, some blueprints from Stark Industries for the uh, the little sound wave hummers um, 
that we'll see later in the movie that got the little, you know, wave cannons on the back or whatever to kind of disable the Hulk. Um, Good thinking. Just a neat little tidbit. And then, yeah, right away already tying stuff into into Stark Industries and, you know, Nick Fury. So there's, like, a ton of references to, like, a shared universe here already, which is interesting. I mean, I'm sure that stuff would have been added in maybe near the end of the film when they were thinking about the after credit scene and stuff. Um, so, yeah, we got him, we got him in Brazil, um, hanging working out. Working at a bottling factory. In, uh, in working at a bottling factory, if I'm not mistaken, just yeah, trying to yeah. lay low and get like a, you know, a, a menial job. And he's, he's working, he's working there for a few months and he, I don't think he has had an incident in a while either. He's, uh, it's been a while since he's, you know, hulked out, so to speak. And yeah. uh, I think he's doing like yoga, if I'm not mistaken. So he's he's keeping some sort of meditation. It, it's it's definitely a form of self defense. Like it might be yoga put in there, but he's like the guy's teaching him breathing exercises and also how to like flip people. So maybe some form of like taekwondo or I don't know Brazilian jiu jitsu maybe. And that's uh, that that's one thing I like to see in uh, that is one thing I did like to see in this movie is, is him trying to you know with practical techniques of not making it happen because. It's hard to tell with the Hulk character, like in how how much power the Hulk has over him. Obviously, he's a super green titan of God, but like how completely helpless he can be next to Hulk, which is like in Ragnarok when he becomes Hulk for months, years. If it might be, it might be years that he becomes the Hulk for. So it's kind of interesting, interesting to see like how, just how hard it is for him to you know combat these Hulk-like tendencies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's got a. He's got a dog in the, in the, in Brazil, which I thought was kind of interesting because, like, I, I, I really need to go watch the old school Hulk um, TV series. But I think, like, every episode kind of ended up with him, like, just, you know, hitchhiking or trying to get out of town and, you know, keep keep on the move. And uh, I feel like you, you ever watch The Littlest Hobo? I have not. Oh man, it's like the same thing minus the Hulk bit, but he's a dog. He's just this dog that goes, you know, through town to town, and you know, things happen to him. And it's uh, that sounds awesome. I, yeah, I just yeah. have to look that up. <laughs> traveling like it's like a, a homeward bound, but with just one dog who's traveling around. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a whole show. Um, so I thought it was kind of funny that he had a pet dog because it's like the the parallels between the two shows is, is super interesting. Um, so he finally has an incident at the at the plant. Uh, some blood uh, gets dropped onto a bottle that he misses while he cleans up the other blood drop before it, you know, split up. <coughs> um, and then he uh, he glues the the cut closed so he can get his blood stuck in there uh, and 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 not have any more drip out, which is which is smart. Um, I can't imagine the most, uh, the the, gr- the greatest feeling. Um, I, I much prefer band aids. Uh, I've worked I've worked with a lot of cooks though that, not a lot of cooks, but I worked with one cook that was he was a little weird, and I think he would uh, super glue um, his cuts just for shock factor. Like he liked to be <laughs> like, oh man, and you know he, he wore army boots and was you know tried to be a total badass and. It, it was a little weird, though. <laughs> um, 
So we got him. Uh, his, his blood goes to uh, Stanley for his uh, his usual cameo. Um, and of he course. It and goes, wow, or wowsy or something. So he says something kind of funny. Like I think it's a little more than a wow. But uh, yeah, I hope it's wowsy. I think wowsy should be our new our new catchphrase if we ever uh, get excited about something. <laughs> oh, wowsy! <laughs> I'm into it. Um, so he just drops the bottle, and we don't ever find out what happens to him. But uh, if you play um, Lego Marvel superheroes, uh, Stan Lee is one of the characters you can get, and if you push a button, he actually hulks out. That's awesome. Which is an homage to that scene. Um, and it's pretty funny having a, a Hulk with a mustache and glasses and, you know, pretty great. Um, although, there there are Hulks with mustaches, mustaches and shades uh, in current comics right now, um, which I highly recommend uh, to anyone pick up uh, a copy of U.S. Avengers because... It's just hilarious. Um, so, so while all this is happening, um, he's uh, using Encrypt Net Chat to, to chat with Mr. Blue while he is Mr. Green and trying to find a way to to cure himself. Um, and I, I thought it was kind of funny and a and a good intro to Mr. Blue's personality, but Mr. Blue uses emojis whenever he's chatting and has the option to, and obviously Bruce Banner is not an emoji guy, um, <laughs> but I thought that was a little funny. I think he could uh, have a better code name than Mr. Green. I mean, the government's obviously like tracking him at the like highest levels. It, it seemed to work, but I think yeah. Mr. Green was just a little bit on the nose for a man who becomes massive and green, and is discussing uh, collaborations with someone named Mr. Blue. Yeah, when they end up tracking uh, Mr. Blue, his uh, his email has his name in it, so it's just, like, super obvious who he is. I think it's, like, a university email, too, so it's, like, you know, like, okay, we're looking for a Samuel Stearns at, you know, this university. That'll be easy. Uh, doesn't work too well for him. Um, so, yeah, we have William Hurt as... Uh, General Thaddeus uh, Thunderbolt Ross, as they call him, um, and he's got a like a second in command guy here, uh, a a Joe Greller who I didn't find any comic counterpart to, which was weird because he's played by Peter Mensa, who's uh, I think he's the the head of the whoever they fight in 300 um he's like the king of of the i don't even remember who they fight in that you remember that's a history thing you should know that say again at the end of 300 are you talking about xerxes uh maybe oh i recognize this guy you're talking about i never heard his name before oh my he's 58 jeez he looks that man right he looks he, he was in um Arguably one of the greatest films of all time. Uh, that would be Jason X, uh, the 10th Friday the 13th movie. So he is just like, a, that's what I recognize him from. He is in 300. And uh, yes, I, I, I do recognize him. I remember him in the movie. But the character that he plays in the movie is based off of uh, nothing. Like it's just its own MCU thing. 
Yeah, okay. That's that's what I thought, which was weird because he's a pretty like dope actor. Like I know him as uh the Doctore from uh Spartacus. And which I need to watch. He's uh so dope. Um so I was like I saw him and I'm like, "Oh man, you should be an important character." And he's just like a random dude. Although I was looking and I think he, it said he pops up in the Thor Ragnarok prelude, like his character, which I'm like, way to tie back. Appreciate that. Um, wow, yeah, that's that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty crazy callback. So we're gonna have to uh, keep an eye out for that. Um, and then also in the army here, we got Emil Blonsky, who uh, is obviously a, a real comics character. Um, and I like that they said he uh, was born in Russia. And then, like, grew up or was trained or whatever uh, in in England, which is why he's because he's. Uh, I assume Tim Roth is is English, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, a little uh, easy way to explain that accent. Yeah, he was um, he was really good in this. I thought he was probably the best. Uh, my favorite part of of Hulk just his performance. He goes like so deranged so quickly, Definitely. and you can just tell he's like. Uh, a guy who gets stuff done, and Tim Roth is always whatever Tim Roth, and he's always good in. So I think he was actually like a pretty spot on choice to play like this unhinged, um, you know, former military guy, just kind of go off the rails as he's trying to track down the Hulk, and eventually gets turned into a literal abomination. Yeah, and uh, William Hurt is also a brilliant actor, and he shines as as Ross for sure. But uh, I think Tim Roth really steals the show and outshines Edward Norton. No question in this movie. Yeah. Um. So, so he hulks out or whatever in the uh, in the factory. We see Emil Blonsky kind of hunting him down, not having any clue what he's getting into, and uh, being generally badass. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Hulk ends up uh, in Mexico, I think. Um, he wakes up and gets a ride there, but he's like, I think he's walking around somewhere and it's got the, the Hulk music playing that they, they parody there in Family Guy, uh, where the, I think most of the TV show episodes would end with him hitchhiking and they have this little piano music playing and they, they put that into the movie, which I thought was really cool. (laughs) That's a nice touch. Um, so we have, uh... Blonsky getting uh, in touch with with Ross and being like, "Look, I've I've been on missions where we were sent in to 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 an area where we didn't, you know, a situation we had no clue what was happening, and it was just a total ambush." And I, you know, I just move on. That's that handled, and it's done, and I move on. But like this one, whatever I saw there, I need that thing. And then he he realizes that that's that's Hulk. You know, the Hulk is Bruce Banner, and he's like, "I gotta." I gotta get another crack at this, and he's like, "But I, but I need something extra, you know." Like, so they start talking about the super soldier serum, and they uh, end up um, injecting it into uh, into Emil Blonsky, and uh, so they Ross goes to um, some storage area, and you see this giant um, cylinder that says cryosync on it and it has a Stark Industries stamp on it. And then in the bottom right corner, there's like a little warning, like radiation, and it says Vita Rays on it. Which 
I thought was interesting because they just inject him with it in this, whereas for Steve Rogers, he got the injections of the serum and then was, you know, pulsed up with Vita rays. So while they've tried to recreate this many times, I don't know that anyone has ever... Like, Agent Carter was there. She knows how the Vita rays work, but over time, no one's figured this out. They they somehow put the Vita rays into the serum itself, I guess. <coughs> so, I thought that was weird. Um, and then on the, the, the label, you also see uh, Weapons Plus... And then Dr. Reinstein, or Reinstein. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Reinstein was Abraham Erskine in in the original Captain America comic. That was his name, and it was an obvious nod to uh, to Einstein. Oh, okay. Good, um, good catch, good catch. And they kind of retconned that to uh, he was using an alias and then changed his name to Abraham Erskine. Uh, oh, so they actually went to the trouble of retconning it? I just assume because this came out in 2008 and First Avenger came out in 2011, this was such a small Easter egg. I'm surprised they even addressed that at all. Or are you talking about in the comics? They, in the comics, they retconned it, yeah. Oh, gotcha, okay. As I, yeah. say, I can't remember any scene where like, ah, uh, no, this is actually your skin. Okay, that, that so I, I guess in the Silver Age, when Stan Lee was writing it, he was like, no, we're going to make this guy's name Erskine instead of Reinstein. Like, um, so they, they referenced that, which is kind of neat. Um... And Weapons Plus is where Marvel gets kind of complicated, but really cool. Uh, so the Weapons Plus program has uh, a ton of Roman numerals for it. Uh, Weapons Plus One is the Super Soldier Serum, which was only ever properly put on Captain America. Um, there's a ton of numbers through them that gets gets really weird there's there's some characters in there that you see some you don't it's a little complicated and convoluted i don't know too well about it uh i think there's a guy called nuke in uh some of the comics that was actually um kind of put into jessica jones if we ever do uh a tv series uh podcast thing going on um will simpson was supposed to be um (coughs) was supposed to be nuke so uh, he was technically a part of the Weapons Plus program. Oh, Will Jessica Simpson, Jones. that's um, um, Jessica Jones. Uh, is that Trisha's crazy, the, the cop? I can't remember, the crazy yeah, cop? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, that's a good little, good so little tie he, right there. He was I can somewhat buy that. part of Weapons Plus. I don't know how much that ties into it, but... Uh, and then everyone knows Weapon X as Wolverine. So Weapons Plus being on that ties into all of that and maybe you know with with them getting x-men's rights uh that'll tie in later which i think is pretty exciting i know you're worried about disney's corporate takeover of the world but uh as everyone should be but you uh what what can we really do about it (laughs) exactly except sit back and uh, enjoy hugh jackman in an avengers movie hopefully that's that that's the only way he said he'd come back as wolverine is if they uh they had, had, had him in an avengers movie so it could happen I feel like uh, there, there's been a recent, more recent article that said that even with that, his, his time was done. But I guess we'll see. No, they'd probably recast. It's, it's, it's just that that's such an iconic role that I can't mm-hmm. picture anyone taking it over. But they would, they now would be the time. He he went out with Logan. What I, I digress. Let's get back to the uh, to the Hulk. Right. Um, so so yeah, we we got a ton of Easter eggs on this one cylinder. 
they put it into uh, Emil Blonsky, and uh, he's super soldiered up. Um, so this is where we kind of delve into where the super soldier serum went. So I don't know where this stuff gets in, but I did a quick read up on it. Um, before Cap rescues Bucky um, from the Red Skull's base or whatever, uh, Zola put his own take on the um, super soldier serum into him. <coughs> oh, pardon my throat. Oh, my God. So, so when Bucky is rescued and is helping Steve, he actually has a little bit of a copycat super soldier serum in him. Interesting. Which I, I wasn't aware of. So No, me neither at all. When he falls from the train, it's that Zola version of the super soldier serum that keeps him alive. Um, so, and then we know some stuff happens with uh, Steve Rogers' blood in Agent Carter. That's and, right. And uh, I don't remember what overall happens with it, but uh, later on, Howard Stark um, replicates a super soldier serum, like his own version of it, right? <coughs> so in 1991, uh, um, Bucky's been brainwashed, He's the Winter Soldier. Uh, he's got a bionic arm now, which makes him even stronger. He and kills cool. Howard Stark and Maria Stark and takes these five doses of the Super Soldier Serum that Howard Stark made. They use it on the other Winter Soldiers that they're working on, and these ones are actually stronger than Bucky um, because Howard's Super Soldier Serum is a little better than, than uh, Zola's was. Um they get destroyed or whatever happens to them um but then uh general ross there tries you know replicating it with um bruce banner's help with the gamma radiation and stuff so he's got his own that that seems to work the same way howard starks does i think because the winter soldiers had aggress aggression issues <coughs> and uh so that's that's how that kind of ties in, and uh, I think Emil had some side effects with his that weren't working super well. So yeah, so to say the least. Um. So so he's super soldiered up uh, while this is happening. Um, Bruce goes to uh, Stan Lee's Pizza. Which is a very obvious nod to Stan Lee. <laughs> Less obvious, uh, the owner, Stanley, um, is played by Paul Souls, who uh, I think only went one episode or something, but in the 60s they had a, uh, a Hulk cartoon. He voiced Bruce Banner and Rick Jones in the cartoon. Oh, that's cool. I like when uh, comic movies do that. Like, with how they would do for Igno, how they bring back, um, you know, just the people who originally were in the these shows or, or movies back from the day that kind of did these characters before anyone else was doing them. So I think it's a, that's a cool little cool little nod. Yeah, and he was he was so iconic that I think he ended up being in almost every '60s and and then then some uh, superhero comic uh, cartoon. So. Um, they did an Iron Man one. Uh, he voiced Happy Hogan. Uh, I think in a Captain America one, he voiced Rick Jones. 
um, the 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 classic '60s animated Spider-Man. He was the voice of Spider-Man and Peter Parker. Jeez, so quite uh, <laughs> quite the eclectic uh, group of uh, people he's voiced there. Definitely. Um, so. So then he gets a pizza from Stanley there and tries to use it to get into the computer lab at Culver University. And then we see the uh, Lou Ferrigno cameo there, which I, I really appreciated. That's right. And then Edward Norton very obviously says to him, oh, thank, like, you're, you're the man. And it's like, yes. Yes, he is. <laughs> um, when he's in the lab, we see uh, a little cameo from Martin Starr eating the pizza that's right i love martin star cameos he's in Sp- martin star who's in this and also in spider-man homecoming as well very likely not playing the same character but uh in fact certainly not playing the same character but a nice little nod i don't know maybe he could be well they, they, they do stuff like that like but i think it's going to be more like um um what's her name from luke cage i'm forgetting right now um um the big bad girl um Come on, you know her name. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't actually know her name. Uh-huh. Um, she was she, in Civil War as well. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, it's going to bother me as soon as I see it. I'm going to see it here. Uh, Mariah Dillard. She's uh, right. the same actress played her, Mar- right. who played Mariah Dillard, played like that one in Civil War. It goes with Tony and says, like, I hold you responsible. So I guess yeah, it's kind of yeah. cool. that they, I, I know they also did the same thing with um, in Agent Carter. Um, you know her, her agent... Um, the guy with the leg. God, it's been so long since I've seen all the shows. I gotta refresh on all their names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's he's got the limp or whatever. Yeah, uh, Daniel. Daniel. He he's also in the the Avengers as like some random cop. So it's kind of funny that they sometimes use the same actors in different roles. Yeah. All right. So that's yeah. He ends up at the the university there, um, and then he hulks out as. Um, as uh, General Ross closes in on him and everything. And then you have the best fight scene in the movie, unfortunately, that early on. Um, and you have Blonsky just going super soldier on Hulk and side jumping over his swipes and jumping over him and, you know, shooting a gun at the same time and just basically being Jack Bauer meets Steve Rogers meets... <laughs> Master Chief, just total badass, uh, <laughs> and I love that fight. It's so good, and especially with uh, now he walks up to him and he's clearly addled by the super soldier serums, side effects not working properly, and going, "That all you got?" And then he just kicks him in the chest and crumples him into a into a tree. Um, and then we see the the sound wave uh, hummers there um, that Hulk ends up throwing. I think like Hummer car doors into and just plowing through them, um, and then he runs off with Betty and hides in this cave where there's a thunderstorm going. And in this scene, you I, I, I think this might have been debunked at some point, but in the thunderstorm, you see this like object fall from the sky to the ground. And some people thought it was just a rock, but some people were like, maybe that's Mjolnir, maybe that's Thor. Um, and would have been interesting if that fell. Nah, that'd be too far to see though, because that would have been in New Mexico where it's falling, right? Well, I guess it's possible. Before they, 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 this was three years ahead of Thor, but uh, yeah, 
It, it is, it's possible. But yeah, little potential Easter egg there anyway that they might have thrown in on purpose. Um, uh, yeah, so then he ends up on the run with Betty. You got the, the obvious purple pants uh, Easter egg there where she's got the stretchy purple pants. Like oh yeah, I like that cam, that, uh, that no, nod, I was clever. Chances. Yeah, I like that. Um, the the most impressive Easter egg I think is having the uh, um, the W H I H news interview at Culver University that we see in Iron Man two. Yep. Um, and you got <clears throat> two two people there. You got Jack McGee and Jim Wilson. So Jack McGee, I guess, was a character from the Incredible Hulk TV show. <coughs> That Lou Ferrigno, like, debuted in, I guess. Um, and I don't think he's got a comics counterpart, but it's a fun little nod there. And then Jim Wilson uh, is actually, in the comics, I believe, the nephew of Sam Wilson. Oh, okay. Falcon, so, Falcon Jr.? Yeah, so potentially a uh, an actual relation in the MCU as well. And then they, uh, yeah, do their interview, give the Hulk his name there, spontaneously. Um, we get introduced to Samuel Stearns, who, uh, as we see in his final scene where the, the bloods, uh, Bruce Banner's bloods, you know, after Abomination goes crazy, the blood's dripping on his, his head there, and it starts bulging up. He's, uh, Samuel Stearns is the leader, which is a, uh, gigantic cranial villain uh from the hulk which i don't know if that ever shows up again i feel like it might maybe the comics might at least address it but like another another thing that didn't pan out because this movie was so awkward <laughs> i was gonna say i know um i you know you know i'm the more casual marvel fan who doesn't know a whole ton about the comics but it, I, even i know um about the leader so i was interesting to see yeah, I, I think that, that that's a problem with this movie is that because it's now ten years old and it's kind of average, like I, I can't really see them introducing like you know Samuel Samuel Stearns as played by Tim Blake Nelson from this movie as like a leader in the future movies. It's just being you can do stuff with like General Ross because he was you know he's a major character in this, but he can be a, he can be a minor character in Civil War, whereas like a supervillain like the leader, you you can't really have that. That worked to the same effect. Yeah, absolutely. It would be it would be weird. I mean, even Ross shows up in Civil War, which the Hulk isn't actually in. I feel like if we had a scene with Mark Ruffalo talking to William Hurt, people would be like, "Weird." But they can do that because Ross is like you know he's not that major of a character in Civil War. Like you could you could watch Civil War without knowing the Incredible Hulk existed and not have any back. You know, you wouldn't need any backstory at all for Ross. Whereas like. If the leader were to show up, you would need some backstory on that, and they would have to use from this movie, which is why I think that no one else has really reappeared. Like Betty hasn't shown up, um, obviously Samson hasn't, and except for Ross, I think that's the only one. Ross and um, Hulk are the only two to actually reappear from this movie, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he he turns uh, Blonsky into. Uh into Abomination by putting um, Bruce Banner's blood mixed in with the Super Soldier Serum. Yeah. <laughs> well, Blonsky's losing his mind at this point. Pretty much. He goes, he deteriorates very quickly, which is one of the things I like about the movie, is he just goes 
from like you know kind of get get the job done type uh, military guy to just straight batshit like insane like deteriorating into a straight monster. Yeah, which uh, which is interesting, and then it's a matter of is this a super soldier serum being poorly replicated, or is this you know Blonsky not being as pure of heart as uh, Steve Rogers was, and that kind of having a side effect there. I hope pure of heart is not the uh, technology, the scientific reason for uh, Bruce Banner's transformation. I hope, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, so then you have the whole uh, abomination Hulk fight, which uh, was shot um, on Young Street. That's um, right. You can I, see I many, really uh, many recognizable sites. Yeah, it's kind of near your hood now, so. Uh, they have the the strip uh, strip club there, Zanzibar. Zanzibar's, yeah, you see Zanzibar's. But the best part is, is Zanzibar's like it's like front and center, like when uh, like Hulk and Abomination are like going to like straight up like fist like fist fight each other, like when they're like running yeah. towards each other. It's pretty much like yeah. right over where Zanzibar is. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's so shadow. Some of the other places are a little less obvious. I think they have. I don't. I don't know. I, I'm familiar with Sam the Record Man being a Toronto staple, but I, th- I think that's actually in that scene or on that street. Yeah, say the record man. That is a Toronto. Well, not anymore, obviously, but that was a Toronto staple, yeah, and yeah. I'm not sure when it closed. But yeah, I think you're right. I think it, it's it's it either shows up there or it's yeah, or maybe I just make that up. Um, you can see the VIP billiards club there, which I've uh, got my ass kicked at ping pong at. Um, so because I have not been inside Zanzibar, uh, with a with a sign like that. Oof. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so that that fight I actually don't care for for which is which is probably yeah. the whole half star knockdown from my original um, rating is because this fight is just so eh, anticlimactic, I guess. Yeah, the MCU um, usually does a really good job of having like a big final, you know, climactic. Battle. You know, the Avengers when they're in New York and uh, Age of Ultron over Sokovia, Civil War when they're all fighting each other. You know, even a lot of scenes in Ragnarok, like, like the Marvel Universe is very good at like having these very climactic fights where there's a lot happening, a lot of characters, and you're able to keep track. And then it's like this, that should be like a simple fight. It's essentially two main parties involved. And then obviously like Ross is on the outskirts, but like it just, it doesn't work. Like it's just, it's not very exciting. It's just them kind of bashing each other for a bit. It's definitely one of the weaker fights of the, uh, the MCU. And uh, they also have... Um Dur- during this fight, um, at some point you see uh, the actor who plays Chalky, I think his name is from Chalky uh, uh, from Boardwalk Empire, and yeah. uh, he's also on The Wire. Um, what is it, Michael yeah. Michael K. Williams? I want to say his name is. He's uh, like he's a terrific actor. He's in a bunch of things. Um, but yeah, yeah, that Easter egg I know about because uh, that this was when Edward Norton came on and started to, started to rewrite a few scenes. And he wanted to have him in the movie because he was a huge fan of The Wire. So he got him to literally come in for that one reaction shot where, like, it cuts to him. is like, I think a car falls behind him or something happens. And then it cuts away and yeah. you never see him again. Like, what the hell yeah. is that? I like it. It's funny. Yeah, but that, that's, uh, that's Edward Norton for you. <laughs> I didn't know that. Um, yeah, he was in a, a Marvel, uh, This Week in Marvel podcast where he actually talked about that. Um, he's a rad dude he was talking about some of the uh, charity like a charity or non-for-profit that he was working on and he just seems like a legit guy um 
Oh yeah, no, he's a terrific actor. Wires to see him. Yeah, that too, that for sure. The Wire, um, Boardwalk Empire, The Night of. He's been in a lot of. Uh, he's been in a couple episodes of the Community. He's been in a bunch of stuff. Oh, he was so good in Community too. Yeah, he was supposed to be in the new uh, Han Solo, but I think his scenes got cut after that whole debacle. But uh, anyway, I'm digressing again. Um. So yeah, they do that whole fight. It's just. Not that great. Um, you see Abomination talking a bit, which I thought is kind of interesting. Um, and then um, Abomination, doesn't he go on a bit of a rampage through uh, through Harlem, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah. Which, you know, it's years and years before Luke Cage, but you got to figure Luke Cage is probably standing somewhere nearby watching that happen. Yeah, they at least reference Harlem. I think he's going on a rampage because they said, like, let's drop him off in Harlem or something like that. Um, yeah, so that happens, uh, and then at the end of the fight, like, Hulk almost, like, kills Abomination by choking him with, like, a chain, and I'm like, Hulk is, you know, the strongest one there is, and, like, Abomination is, like, a, you know, version of that, so, like, I don't think he would be able to kill him like that, wouldn't the chain break before his, his neck broke? Yeah, that would that would that's a good point actually. That would make sense to me. And and that I was watching that and that was bothering me. And then also that like you know, Betty screams and he stops and doesn't kill him, but then like what the hell happens to Blonsky? I just feel like this movie overreached a little bit where you know, they set up the leader and Blonsky's kind of like left alive, which like if they had done a sequel, like what the fuck is the point of Blonsky being there? I hate when they do that. They're like we're going to leave the villain from the first movie alive. Like, no, we don't want to see this villain again, so why are you doing that? Like, there's <laughs> very few ways you can successfully have the original villain come back in the sequel without, like, him stealing the show again or just, over, you know, ruining whoever the next villain's supposed to be. Wasn't the only villain who's actually come back and more than... Isn't Loki the only one, or has anyone else come back and, like, a major... I could just be spacing, but I think Loki's the only villain... Well, and obviously Thanos, but he's not really being the villain of his respective movies so far. So I, I think Loki's the only one to come back multiple times as a villain. It hasn't really worked in the MCU. So yeah, I don't know why they thought it would here. And Loki can do that because, like, Loki was the villain in Thor, but Thor fought the Destroyer, you know? Um, Loki manipulates things. So, like, Loki's the villain in Avengers, but the Avengers fight the Chitari. Like, it's he always comes alongside another force because he himself isn't a fighter. It's manipulating, you know, situations to his command and stuff. Um, he does his part in Dark World, but it's about Malekith, right? So it's like... Anything he's in, he's kind of a side character. He's not the main villain in the way that it is. He's like the mastermind, so... It works with him. True. True. But yeah, I guess maybe at this point they, they thought they could bring someone back who, you know... Like, I like Abomination in the movie. He's definitely not among the top, top MCU villains, so... No. I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking. Just, I guess it's one of those things, keep your options open, like how like Red Skull could come back, theoretically. Like I guess that's why, oftentimes, rather than killing off the villain, they leave it open so they could come back, just in case they ever want to. Yeah, the difference with that, though, is Red Skull's out of the picture. Because you can just never have him come back, and it's fine. But with Abomination, it's like, this dude can turn into something like almost as powerful as the Hulk. Where is he? 
you can't just put him in prison. He can go crazy. Like what? So wait, have you watched um have you watched the consultant one shot before? I don't think so. No. Oh, okay, okay, because I know we were talking about it earlier. Okay, well then, yeah, well, I won't say anything, but that that, that touches on yeah. him a little in his fate, so that might clear things up for you a bit. Yeah, but th- th- that's what I mean, though. It's like you have to address that stuff, whereas no one's addressed the Red Skull because you don't need to. So for leaving that open, it just, like, kind of creates problems because, like, so General Ross is the Loki in this film, whereas he is the one manipulating these events. So if he was back in Hulk 2, you'd be like, yeah, of course, that makes sense. But, you know, if we saw the Destroyer in, in Thor 2, we'd be like, why? Why are we already dealt with the Destroyer? Why are you here? Yeah. <laughs> um, so that fight's kind of lame. Uh, it ends with Hulk, uh, Bruce Banner, you know, learning to control his anger and, and control the Hulk in a, in a scene where he's in Bellacula, BC there, which uh, I thought was interesting. That's that's one of the few parts of the movie I, I really, really liked. Um, that the, the movie itself doesn't have too many thematic, like, successes it's where it's kind of a jumbled mess i feel like it's got way too many pointless scenes in it um where again they kind of overextend themselves like he's he's in the he's in bellacula there and he's he's got a a letter with the necklace that he got from betty ross that he's gonna give back to her like which like i don't care about i don't care about this necklace story and i feel like they were opening that up for something to go into the next film which didn't happen obviously so i i feel like they just have too many pointless scenes and too many things that don't really fit with the movie and it just it feels a little bit like a mess yeah it'd be interesting to see what would have happened if uh, this movie had to be more of a financial success if they would have made more because this movie like i just looked it up and made you know i had a budget of 150 million made 250 million which isn't that great for like a marvel you know blockbuster summer movie so i'm wondering maybe if it had been more financially successful if we would have seen more because it's been 10 years and we still haven't had a Hulk movie. I mean, Ragnarok, I'd say, was like 60 40 Thor and Hulk. Like, it was it was the closest thing I think we've had to a Hulk movie since this, but we still yeah. haven't had a standalone Hulk movie. And uh, I don't know if maybe that they, they don't feel like there's a whole lot of story left to tell, or like it's Mark Ruffalo. He's you know, gets nominated for Oscars every few years. He's in blockbuster movies. He's like a, a talent. He loves being with Marvel, it seems. He seems like to be a huge fan of that. So uh, I, I'd be interested to see that, that would be an interesting thing, thing to think about for me is what would have happened if this movie had to be more of a success critically and financially. Well, I think I think the issue was I, I've read somewhere that uh, someone else owns the right to the Hulk movie name. Like they can use the Hulk, but I don't think Disney has the rights to make a Hulk movie on their own. Like I think Universal owns it maybe, but who owns Universal? Isn't that Fox or? No, Universal is their own their own their film own company. Own. Well, that would make sense because they have the Incredible Hulk ride at Universal, so that would make sense. Yeah, so I think they own the rights to that. So I, I I think I read somewhere that they can't actually have a standalone Hulk movie because they wouldn't be able to call it the Hulk, um, which is a weird uh, copyright issue. But also, I feel like maybe they just like how do you do that? Like I feel like Hulk works best in the movie alongside someone else yeah you know that i like that I, I think i like that they did that with ragnarok put him in there and like made him like because it was like he's very important in the plot and like we gotta learn a lot about him as a character but what did, I, I kind of agree with that i don't know if we actually need any more standalone hulk movies like i i wouldn't i'll never say no to any marvel movie but this yeah. like i i think you're right like i think 
we, Bruce Banner works really well when he's integrated with other people. And we, and we get to see his struggle throughout, like, you know, the Avengers when he, and especially Age of Ultron when uh, Black Widow is always calming him down. And it, I, I think they've done a good job at showing his struggle through the other Avengers and MCU movies without having a single movie since this one focus on him. So, honestly, I'm, I'm okay for now if they don't make another Hulk movie. Like, if they want to just let, let this be it, that's fine. I can live with that. Yeah. Um, so then we got the, the after credits scene, which happened before the actual credits, and it's one of the few movies that does that. Um, what was the Iron Man 2 after credits scene? Uh, Thor's Hammer. Right, and that's uh, actually after the, the, the like legitimate credits, right? Yeah, I always get confused, and I even read Fury's Big Week that shows what order they take place in. I, I, I think it's Iron Man 2, Hulk, and then Thor, so yeah, that wouldn't make sense. But but this, uh, like, they do the after credit scene before the credits actually go, which I think they do in Age of Ultron. Like, if you stay to the end of the credits, there's nothing actually there. They have, like, after credits scene after, like, the intro part of the credits, but the actual rolling credits, there's nothing after there, I think. Gotcha. And a bunch of people were like, why would you do that? You're just ruining the whole thing you have but the hulk was was the one that started that because iron man and iron man 2 you wait after the credits or something there's nothing after the hulk it's it's like right before the credits start and you see some beginning credits i think it's interesting how that's developed too like how how at the start like marvel uh, there were after credit scenes before marvel but marvel was definitely the one that made it like a thing like that like other movies now have done it too like uh, the other non-comic movies have done the after credit scene and i I like that idea rather than because like when you see it in theaters uh, it's nice having like that little like, like the way they do it now where they usually have a little scene after like the main credits and another scene after the rolling credits I yeah. uh, I like that idea because then not everyone is gonna want to stay for like 10 minutes and watch the uh, watch the entire credits but people will want to see like the after we'll say to see the after the credits the, the mid credit scene and then you have movies like Guardians of the Galaxy which has like uh, <clears throat> like 10 after cre- the credit scenes which I like volume two yeah 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 that was that was great. I like they did that. Um, yeah, so the after credit scene, we've got uh, a post-Iron Man 2 Tony Stark uh, showing up to talk to General Ross about uh, the Avengers Initiative, which is him being the Avengers Initiative consultant, I guess. Mm-hmm. Oh, is that... Is that is that what... Uh, no, don't spoil it for me. I, I'll find out next week. <laughs> I want to know what the consultant is about because I don't think I've seen it. Well, there you go. So that'll be uh, that'll be a nice little uh, fresh new thing that you get get to see the MCU. Yeah. So that'll be interesting because I'm finding I'm trying to I'm thinking maybe after we finish this this uh, podcast maybe we'll just like peg out the the rest of the MCU stuff like you know do a, a podcast for an, an entire season of something right. It's true. Could be, could be done. We'll see, because um, it'd be interesting to kind of tie in everything we've talked about for, and what we're going to talk about for this entire run into all the other stuff and see how it unfolds. Yeah, it's an idea. Um, yeah, uh, I think that's all I've got written down in notes for this movie. That after the credit scene there, uh, which is a gold, gold one there. Um, I, I, I think I, just, I wrote. I really like that when he's taking his, he, you know chugging back those drinks he goes reload and then gets a new drink <laughs> I, I wish i could i could pull that off every time i want a new drink just be like reload 
<laughs> well, see, this is uh, Iron Man is definitely the one that created the MCU, but I think this is the first time where we actually get an idea of what the MCU can be just from that end credit scene. Like the fact that Iron Man just showed up in an Incredible Hulk movie, like that's pretty. Yeah. That's pretty. That was pretty cool. Like I, you know, a lot of people would have been. In the tentative plans for the MCU were in place at this point, but it, it was still kind of strange because all you know we're so used to these superhero movies being so self-contained, right? Like all the Spider-Man movies are just about Spider-Man, you know, just, which makes sense because you're telling a story about the character. But this is the first time where that like characters are actually crossing over into different movies, and like yeah, the, the idea of seeing like Robert Downey Jr. in uh, a Hulk movie is is pretty cool, and that that's where the 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 groundwork gets laid. I think is this movie. Um, absolutely. Uh, afterthought, since you mentioned Spider-Man, uh, that I totally missed. Um, during the Hulk abomination fight, there's one scene where Hulk, you know, puts his fist out of the ground and gets up and they run at each other. And before abomination runs, I, I didn't notice this, but I looked it up. I think you see a little shadow looks like it's swinging over abomination's shoulder. And some people are like, maybe that's just someone he threw as he's running. But a bunch of people were like, I think that's supposed to be like a little Spider-Man cameo there. And I think, this, this maybe this was a false article, but I'm pretty sure the director there, Louis, uh, said that he kind of threw it in because he was hoping maybe that they could get some deal with Sony to have some kind of tie-in. Maybe a Tobey Maguire uh, cameo of some sort, but it ended up not panning out. A Tobey Maguire cameo. I don't yeah. know why that made me laugh. <laughs> so so that was like kind of the precursor to uh to the whole, you know, Sony uh MCU Spider-Man Homecoming film and that tying into stuff, which is which is kind of neat. So so he tried, he swung and missed and eventually they followed up uh with another batter there. <laughs> yeah, well that's as I say that that would be I I like the idea of doing it as like a, a cameo, like like or just as like a you know a little trick, like showing a shadow of him. But it would be kind of ridiculous if Spider Man was there, you know, and not really helping. I, I can't really see that. Uh, you know, he just he's going through New York doing his nightly vigilante duties, and he sees like a Hulk monster fight, and he just like swings by. I, I wouldn't like that if that was yeah. the actual. Yeah, which is the first thing I thought too. I'm like, why would he swing by and not do anything? This is yeah, New York. this is Spider Man, and he's got to help. Yeah. So that was that was interesting, but yeah, I thought that that was like a little. I would have been remiss missing that Easter egg and not mentioning it. Um, yeah, yeah. I feel like that's going to be a, a podcast line where where either of us said we would be remiss to not mention this. That's true. <laughs> that's how we can like finish it off. <laughs> yeah. Um. Any any parting thoughts on the Incredible Hulk? No, 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 I think we've covered most of it, just that, uh, yeah, like we, we talked about, this is kind of like the probably the weakest entry in the MCU, but even this is like, not like, this. I don't consider this to be a bad movie, it's just like you said, it's a mess, it's just kind of all over the place, but like, I, I think that the worst MCU movie is better than a lot of other, like, like the DC movies, like I think I gave this the same as I gave like uh, a few of the DC ones, and that's being generous on the DC side, and... Like, those are the best of the DC movies, where... Obviously, I'm not talking about, like, Batman Begins or Dark Knight or any of that, but more like the yeah, current yeah. DC uh, extended universe, so... So, yeah, basically that this, even though this is the weakest MCU offering, it's still... Well, sorry, sorry, the weakest MCU offering is Inhumans, but uh, it's the weakest MCU film offering. This isn't too bad, all things considered. 
it's still yeah. kind of a fun movie in its own right. Just in, just a mess is what it comes down to. Yeah. Side side note, I'm glad we can agree that Inhumans is worse than Iron Fist. Yes, uh, Iron Fist is bad, but Inhumans is. If Marvel produces anything as bad as Inhumans again, I'll be, I'll be shocked. Yeah. Is this, is this the third Ant Man? Because Inhumans is irredeemable. But <laughs> I, I hope I. You know how many listeners of our of our dozens and dozens of listeners probably just tuned out right there and said that's that's enough of the shenanigans. That's why I saved it for the end. <laughs> Good call. Uh, so next week, um, we have lined up the short, A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to Thor's Hammer. We'll talk about the Thor film and the differences between the adaptation comic, and then we'll finish up with The Consultant, and then the week after that will be the big Avengers week we've uh, been waiting for. Yes, that should be an interesting, uh, interesting discussion. Yeah, so uh, that's it for this week. Um <clears throat> Just like week one and two, I'm going to have these put up pretty much at the same time. Uh, we'll, we'll get some kind of system going eventually. I feel like once I upload these, I'm going to be out of room on Podomatic, so I should really figure out how to put this on iTunes. Yeah, this was supposed to be our short podcast, uh, listeners, and this is now an hour and 13 minutes. So uh, we're, we're, a single movie. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get there eventually. We'll get there. Yeah. Alrighty. Uh, All right. So this has been Jeremy Visser and Sam Nicholson, and we're uh, we'll see you guys next week. See ya. Peace. <laughs>